0: Thanks for taking some time to listen to this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe God will speak to you right where you are. Now, let's take a moment and prepare our hearts to hear this week's message. Hey, I want to welcome you to Elevate Church if this is your first time checking out Elevate. Um, My name is Colby. I'm the pastor here. If you were here last week, man, you got to hear an amazing word by Will. Was anybody here last week? Come on. How awesome was that? Will is one of our leaders on our staff here, and I'm just so grateful that we have an incredible staff. Like, we don't, we don't celebrate our staff enough. Can we give a hand to all the staff here at Elevate that do an amazing job week in and week out, and that really serve this church. They're incredible leaders that we have here. Uh, I I'll, I'll gotta get right to it today, though, because I have a lot of ground to cover, and I'm really gonna need you guys to lean in, and I'm gonna ask you this one question. And that is this, how far are you willing to go? In fact, right now, turn to your neighbor and ask them that question How far are you willing to go? They have no idea what you're talking about, but that's okay. Just ask them, How far are you willing to go? Because we will, right? We will go to great lengths for things, will we not? Like we'll go to great distances, we'll go to great lengths. Uh, for things in our life, for people in our life. I don't know if you can remember back to when you first started dating someone. Some of you are like, I wish I had a date. Well, this is a great place to find somebody. we got some beautiful people here at Elevate Church. Look around. That might happen. But I don't know if you can remember back to when you first were dating, like the lengths that you would go to for that person that you were dating. Do you remember that? you remember maybe all the money that you would spend on that person? Some of you are like, yeah, I wish I, I wish I could get that back. Maybe the date didn't go so well. And you're like, is there a refund policy on this date? No, don't do that. That's not very nice. But we will go to great lengths for things. Uh, we'll go to great lengths for, for sports teams, for those of you that have a team that you, that you love and follow and are passionate about, you know, you'll go to great lengths. You'll buy tickets to the game, maybe season tickets. Maybe you'll get all the gear. You know, you have the, the, the jerseys. You have stickers on your car. Maybe you sleep on Ben Roethlisberger sheets at home. I don't know. We will go to some great lengths, right? You'll sit outside in sub-zero temperatures freezing for your sports team. We'll go to great lengths for sports teams. We'll go to great lengths for hobbies, some of you, even this morning perhaps, got up at the crack of dawn at like 3 a.m., got out into a tree stand, right? It's freezing outside. You know, you covered yourself with deer pee or other smells of nature in hopes that Bambi would walk by. You could take her out and eat on her for the rest of the year. Like we'll go to Great Lakes for some of our hobbies. On the other hand, we'll go to Great Lakes, some of us for shopping. I know you will. I've heard that you could go into a store... Right for, for three hours, not just not the mall, but like a single store, and come out of that store. I'm saying it's possible, and say something like, "I wish I had more time." Are you kidding me right now? Three hours, one store. We'll go to great lengths for things in our life. I'll go to great lengths for some Krispy Kreme donuts if I see that that neon beacon of hope come on when I'm driving. Up Upper Peach, right? Some of you will go great lengths for food. We got any foodies in the, in the house, foodies? Come on, some of you are food. You'll, you'll drive distances for food. When you go on vacation, you know where you're going to eat before you know where you're going to stay. I'm going to eat there. I'm going to eat there. Where are you going to stay? I have no idea, but I'm going to eat there. Okay. We'll go to great lengths for things in our lives. And the reason that we will go to great lengths for things in our lives are because we are passionate people. In fact, I want you to jot that down. We have passion. i want gonna talk about our passion. We have passion because you were created in the image of a, a holy God, your heavenly Father, who is a passionate, creative God. And as image bearers of a passionate, creative God, we were created to be passionate people. And we'll go to great distances. We'll go to great lengths for things that we are passionate about. And here's what I've learned, passion always leads to action every single time what you are passionate about is what you will act on passion always leads to action that's what causes you to get up at you know 3 a.m. and go sit in a tree stand because you're passionate about that or you're passionate about getting out of the house either way it's passion right that's what causes you to wake up early and to go to a job because you wanna succeed, you wanna excel at it, you wanna you know put in the hours, go early, stay late, do what no one else is doing to get results that no one else is getting because you are passionate about that and passion always leads us to action. Passion is always driving that thing that we are pursuing. Now here's what I've learned about passion, that it's not a feeling, All right, It can lead to a feeling, it can produce feelings, In your life, but passion itself is not a feeling. Passion is is a tenacity that comes from the inside of you. I've also learned that passion isn't based on your personality. Because a lot of times we think about passion and we think, well, I'm extroverted, so I'm passionate, or I'm introverted, so I'm I'm not passionate. It actually doesn't work that way. It doesn't have to do with your, your personality because all of us are passionate. It's how we express that passion that can be, be different, right? That can be filtered through our personality, which is why, you know, one person can be at a football game, you know, just kind of chill, hanging out. Their team scores a touchdown, and they're like, right on. That's about it, right? It's, they're passionate about it, but that's not based on their personality. While the other person, right, their team scores are like, "Woo!" high five and everybody, you know, making friends with people they don't know. Because passion doesn't have anything to do with personality, is my point. Like, they're both passionate people, but how it plays out in their life is filtered through, you know, their, their personality. But passion is expressed in varying ways. So if you were to tell me today, Colby, I'm not a passionate person, that would be a lie. That would be an incorrect statement. Perhaps you just don't, don't realize what you are passionate about, but once you find it and you kind of focus, zero in on that thing you're passionate about, I promise you that it will move to action. What you're passionate about always leads to action. And if you're not sure what you're passionate about, a great place to to discover that is look at your last three months of your spending habits. That'll tell you real quick what you're passionate about. Because you invest in, right, what you're passionate about. You will will spend money on those things that you're passionate about. You'll look at your time, the way you spend your time. That's a great indicator of what you are passionate about. We all have a a certain amount of, of energy, resources, you know, in our life, a certain amount of Bandwidth that we have and what we expend that on oftentimes points to what we are passionate about. And passion always leads to action. And so today, I want to talk about one thing one thing um, that I believe you must be passionate about in order for life to make sense, in order for life to really matter to make a difference, one thing you must be passionate about. And listen to me, I don't have a lot of notes for you today because I'm not so interested in getting your head, but I am interested in getting your heart. So I really want you to lean into this because there's just one thing I believe that all of us need to be passionate about. And at the end, we're gonna answer that question, how far are you willing to go? I'm not gonna answer it for you, but you're gonna answer that question yourself. How far are you willing to go. And I'm gonna talk about it through the lens of John chapter 21. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to John 21. In John 21, let me set it up. Jesus has just arrived at the Sea of Galilee. Your version might say the, the Sea of Tiberius, they're one and the same. There's a lot of different words that describe the Sea of Galilee, but he's come there to the shore of the Sea of Galilee to have a conversation with a guy named Peter. And we're gonna talk about, about why in just a moment, but in John chapter 21. Verse one, everybody ready to go? You guys ready today? All right, let's go. Here we go. It says later, and we're gonna talk about what later means, right? Because later obviously is is pointing to something that happened already, and so this is after the fact. But later, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Verse two, several disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and I love this part, and... Two other guys. It's like, eh, not really that important. We don't need to know their names. You know, it's just there were two other guys there. Don't worry about them. It says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. How many of you want to go fishing? Like, that's what he's saying. I'm going fishing. Let's go fishing. And they said, we'll come too. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now, that's a bad night. And that's a bad night not because this was just a fun little fishing trip just because a couple guys said, hey, I got some new you know, a rod and reel and some new tackle I want to try out. Let's go fishing. This wasn't like that. This wasn't like, hey, how many did you catch? Well, I caught a couple. What about you? What did you catch? This was their livelihood. And so a bad night when you don't catch anything meant that you don't have the potential to earn an income. So that's how bad a night this was. right? They were fishing for, for food. They were fishing for their, for their work, for their, their job. This would be the equivalent of you working a third shift. All night long, coming home, and your boss saying, hey, by the way, all that that you worked for, we can't pay you for it. Like, that's how bad it is. So they come home, and it says they caught nothing all night long, verse four, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. Verse five, he called out, hey, you guys caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Verse seven, then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. The disciple who Jesus loved, by the way, is the guy who's writing this book. He's like saying, oh yeah, and I'm the one that Jesus loved. That would be like me saying, and I'm the favorite son-in-law, right? I'm the one that is the chosen one, the highly favored, the blessed above all kind of son-in-law. That is funnier in my head. When Simon, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he has stripped for work. I'm not going to touch that one. Jumped into the water and headed to shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net into the shore. They were only about, and this is significant because it's still a big distance, 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found, them, found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. And if you keep reading, you'll discover they caught 153 fish that day. So Jesus has, has come to the shore. And the reason he's come to the shore was to restore Peter, a guy named Peter, back to the ministry. Because to say that Peter had a, a rough week leading up to this moment would be putting it lightly. In fact, let me rewind with you just a little bit. Um, rewind is something you do when you have a cassette tape. You know what cassette tapes are? It's a little plastic thing about this big. It has two holes in it. If the tape ever comes out, you you stick a pencil in there, and you start to try to, anybody know what I'm talking about? Or your pinky. Come on, help a brother out. Yeah, yeah, pinky, and try to rewind that thing. That's a cassette tape. In fact, that's where the term mixtape comes from. Like, in order to make a mixtape, you used to have to put it in the the cassette tape deck and then listen for the radio. And When the song came on that you wanted to record, you had to hit play and record at the same time or you missed it right anybody know what I'm talking about okay a few people mixed tape but to say that peter had a rough week again would be a huge understatement because leading up to this jesus had just been crucified a week earlier he died on the cross he was beaten he sacrificed his life for the sins of all humanity for the sins of you and for the sins of me the emotional roller coaster that happened before that he went to the upper room where he announced what was going to happen, where he announced to Peter and these other guys that he would be crucified, where he announced that someone there would betray him. And then they go to the garden, and it was such a heavy moment, Jesus was actually sweating drops of blood, a condition called hematidrosis, where just kind of the blood came out of his pores. And then he was praying in the garden, and Judas betrayed him in that moment with a kiss. And so the guards come, and they, they grab Jesus. They're going to take him out. Peter, you know, is kind of this, this passionate guy. So he gets up, he takes his knife, and he, and he cuts a guard's ear off, which, by the way, some of you can be encouraged that some of the disciples were packing some heat, right? So he had his knife on him. Cuts a guy's ear off, and Jesus says, don't do that. He picks up the ear. He puts it back on the guard. He's miraculously Healed, which, by the way, aren't you grateful that some of your irrational decisions, the mistakes you made, don't disqualify you from God doing a great work in and through your life? Come on, I know I am. Like, I'm like Peter. Get, you know, just, let's go for it. And I'm so grateful some of those mistakes I made don't keep me from experiencing what God has for me. But he, he miraculously heals the guy, and the guards take him away to Caiaphas's house, put him on a, a mock trial out in the courtyard, and Peter... Being this passionate guy follows at a distance. And then he's kind of sitting in the courtyard. He's huddled around a fire, and a little girl approaches him. And this all happened during this week. And this little girl approaches him and says, aren't you with Jesus? And in that moment, Peter has a decision to make. Do I say I am or do I say I'm not? Because otherwise I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be put on trial here as well. And so he denies it. He says, I'm not with him. And then a little bit while longer, another guy asks him, hey, aren't you with Jesus? You're a Nazarene. You're with him. He says, no, I'm not. And then a third guy approaches him and says you're with Jesus and Peter is so adamant that he's not in fact in the original text he like cusses the guy out and he says I am definitely not with him and in that moment the rooster crows and he remembers what Jesus told him that Peter by the time the rooster crows you'll have denied me not one time but three times and he looks at Jesus and he locks eyes with him as soon as the rooster crows because they're both in the courtyard together can you imagine being Peter in that moment can you imagine what's going through his mind? Can you imagine him, the, the things he's thinking, I'm ashamed, I'm guilty. Like, like, can Jesus ever use me? Can you imagine that? Like, I wonder if anybody's ever been there where you feel so ashamed of, of something or guilty of something, you would say, Colby, I, I'm, I'm probably gonna barely get into heaven, but a candidate for anything else that God wants to do in my life, I'm probably not. Has anybody ever felt that way? Like, that's where Peter is. That's what he's experiencing. That's the the emotional state that he's in. And the Bible says that here after that week, he shows up on the beach. And Peter is back to fishing. Why is he back to fishing? Because that's what he did. He was a fisherman. That's what he did. Knows that's what he's he's comfortable with. That's the lifestyle that that he knew. And sometimes you and I, when we're not living the life that that we know we should live, we'll often go back to the life that that we used to live. You know what I'm saying? Even if it hurts us, even if it's a mistake, even if it's a direction we don't want to go, we go back to it because of comfortability. We go back to it because of familiarity. We go back to it because that's what we we know. Oftentimes, when we're not doing uh, the 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 calling that God has for us will resort back to that life that we knew. And so that's what, what Peter's doing in this moment. He's gone back to fishing. And Jesus comes on the shore, and he says, hey, toss your net on the other side. Which, by the way, three years earlier, Jesus has the same conversation with these guys. It's the way he calls them out of the, the lifestyle of fishing into the ministry. He approaches them on the shore in the same manner. He calls out, hey, you guys caught anything? They're like, no, we haven't caught anything all day. He says, throw your net on the other side. So they do, and they bring in so many fish that they couldn't handle it. Other boats had to come and help them out, if you remember the story. And, and that's when he says, hey, I'm not gonna, you're not going to fish for a living. You're going to be fishers of men. And so he calls them out of being uh, fishermen to fishers of, of men. And, and I say that because some of us have this idea that in order to follow Christ, because all Jesus said in that moment was to come and follow me. He did not say, get your life together, get your act together, and then you can come and follow me. But a lot of times we have this idea that you know we have to clean up our act, we have to get it all together before we follow Jesus. Listen to me, you... You have to come to God first. You don't, come to, you don't clean up to come to God. You come to God so that you can clean up. Are you with me? Like, you come to God first so that he can clean up our act. We need his Holy Spirit to move in inside our lives in order to clean us up. A catfish ain't a clean fish. And so all Jesus simply said to those guys was, hey, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And then he realized um, that it's Jesus on on the shore. So this is the the second time Jesus approaches the shore, calls out to these guys. Peter's in the boat. John says, hey, this is the Lord. He realized it's Jesus on the shore. And I want to point out two uh, points of expression or passion that were displayed. The Bible says in verse 7 that he put on his tunic. And he jumped into the water, and he ran to the shore. Write this down. Peter was passionate about Jesus. Man, he was passionate about Jesus, so much so that he was willing to jump out of the boat. As soon as he recognized who it was, he jumped out of the boat, and he ran to shore, which, by the way, Peter has a history of jumping out of boats, if you don't know that. like He's done it before. Those of you that, that you're like... I'm not a follower of Jesus. You're just checking the whole church thing out. You've probably heard about the time Jesus walked on the water. Well, there was a time he did that and he approached this boat. Peter was in the boat and Peter said, hey, Lord, tell me to come to you. And he says, all right, come to me. And he jumps out of the boat. So Peter is a boat jumper, all right? He has a history of doing this. Why? Because he's passionate about Jesus. He's desperately in love with, he's passionate about Jesus, even though he had denied him like a week earlier and said he wasn't with him. He was still passionate about Jesus to the point when he recognized him on the shore. He got up out of the boat. He jumps out because you go to great lengths for things you're passionate about. And passion always leads you to take action. And so Peter jumps out of the boat. How far was he willing to go? He was willing to to possibly sink, right? He had to take his tunic and run 100 yards in the water. Like he, he was willing to give up this, this catch, you know, the, his potential to earn a living for that day. He was willing to let that all go. He's willing to risk that all. He was willing to risk it all for Jesus because he was passionate about Jesus. I wondered this today, how passionate are you? Like how passionate are you about Jesus? How far are you willing to go to express your passion for Jesus? Because passion always leads us to action. And Peter was so passionate. I wonder if in that moment where he jumps out of the boat, if he, if he thought back to three years earlier when, when a guy approached them on the shore and said, hey, 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 you guys caught anything? Cast your net on the other side. I wonder if in that moment when he heard that again, cast your net on the other side, if something didn't like, like kind of rise up inside of him, if his heart didn't start to pound a little bit you know, faster, like, wait, 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 where have I heard this before? Am I having deja vu? I feel like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day, right? You know, it's just kind of happening over again. And they say, cast your net on the other side, and they did. And then John recognizes in that moment, it's the Lord, right? I wonder if Peter, if all that didn't start to go back through his mind, how in that same kind of environment, Jesus called him out of fishing. He called out this guy who was nobody, who nobody knew, to where he was in the entourage of the Messiah three years earlier, following Jesus around, setting up, you know, conferences for thousands of people on hillsides, you know, kind of of in this this massive entourage with Jesus to where, you know, he went from somebody nobody knew to now somebody a lot of people know to the point where even somebody recognizes him in a courtyard around a fire and says, hey, aren't you with him? Aren't you one of those guys with Jesus? I wonder if all that went through his mind, in that moment, as he thought back about all the things Jesus had, had done for him, and even though he denied him, it didn't matter. When he saw Jesus, he got up out of the boat and jumped and ran to shore. Like, I, I thought about this. If you were to put your passion for Jesus on a scale of 1 to 10 today, where would you be? Like, 10 being burning white hot for Jesus and one being maybe the, the flame is starting to fade. Maybe it's starting to, to die. It's just kind of smoldering a little bit in your life. Where would you be on that scale of 1 to 10? A great preacher from centuries ago once said, I want to set myself on fire and let the world come and watch me burn. Now, I know you see this up here. That's not what's happening today. <laughs> not doing that. But what he is saying is, I want, I want the passion that I have for, for Jesus to be so hot and burning so brightly that people can't help but to stand up and take notice. That everyone around watching can just see it. There's just something about it. How, how many of you guys love a, love a fire pit? Does anybody love a fire pit? Burning some wood. Like, I think, I think the weather in heaven is going to kind of be like mid-October, right? Where it's a little bit cool in the day. You know, it's kind of hoodie weather. It's kind of crisp out at night, you know, where it's gonna, you're going to have a, a fire pit going. That's what the weather in heaven's going to be like. That's why some of you always complain, oh, it's so cold in here. It's so cold in here. It's just going to feel like heaven, all right? I'm trying to prepare you <laughs> for heaven. Bring a coat, whatever. Whatever you got to do. You know, that's what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be, like, crisp during the day, cool at night. You're going to make, you know, like, fires and and chocolate and graham crackers and s'mores, except they're not going to put any weight on you. Glory to God in heaven. (laughs) But we intuitively know that when a fire is started, however you start a fire, it doesn't matter if it's in a fire pit or if you flip a switch, you know, in your house, like, you know that when a fire starts to die, you don't, remove logs from it, right? I mean, that, that wouldn't make sense. You don't remove the fuel source from the fire, but when it starts to fade out, you, you want to, you know, put fuel on the fire. You want to make sure that fire continues to burn and gets and gets hotter and, and grows brighter. And I think about the moment that you encountered Jesus, if you can remember it, and the moment he ignited something in your heart and in your life and you were passionate about him and the fire was lit and it was growing and it was burning, I think what happens over time, it begins to fade. and begins to die out. We begin to remove logs from, from the fire. Why do we do that? Um, complacency? Comfortability? Maybe we just get familiar. Things maybe we get stuck into. A routine, but something that was once burning so bright in our life, burning so hot in our life that we were excited about in our life, starts to fade and starts to die and starts to to dim. Does anybody remember in here, you don't have to answer, but the moment you gave your life to Jesus, if you have. Do you remember back to the moment, I'm trying to help you remember today, the moment that you understood that Jesus paid for all of our sin. That he doesn't hold our sin against us. That, that that penalty, the wages of sin is death, but Jesus came to pay that price for us. You remember that moment you understood that, that it went off in your mind and in your heart, and you surrendered to your life and said, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And in that moment, something was ignited and the fire was burning bright. Do you remember that? Can you remember back then where you understood that he doesn't hold that against you anymore, that your sin was nailed to the cross? I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Does anybody remember that? And then something happens along the way, whether you get into a routine of coming to church, a routine of being a Christian, whatever it is, and it starts to to fade, starts to dim that fire, that passion that was once burning so bright begins to dim. Am I describing anyone else's journey other than mine here today? Because this is how it works for me. Because a comfortability will lead to complacency. And when you're complacent, you'll forget to add fuel to the fire. You'll forget that the fire is going out. That you need to continue to to build it up so it so it grows. And something that you were once so passionate about has now become passive. Has now become something that could perhaps you're indifferent to. That you're just kind of going through the motions in life, where you were once passionately in love with with Jesus. And again, nothing to do with personality. This is not, oh yeah, I remember back then, you know, I would lift my hands in worship. Not just one hand, Colby, two hands in worship. And I sing loud. It has nothing to do with personality. Like that is the way we worship God. Why? Because that's how God likes to be worshiped. You should read about it in the Psalms. He says, lift up holy hands to me in worship. He says, lift up, you know, a, a shout of praise. Like like, that's how he likes to be, be worshipped. But I'm not talking about personality. I'm talking about this passion that you once had that now begins to, to fade, a passion that, that used to uh, burn brightly on the weekend, but also bleed into Monday through Friday. But somewhere along the way, we get apathetic, we get familiar, and as a result, we become passive about what we were once so passionate about. And I think the danger in all that is that we get to the place where we're like, I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm good with that. Anything beyond that? Eh. How far are you willing to go? Well, I'm, I'll go to church, but I don't necessarily want to tell anybody else about Jesus. Don't ask me to do that. I'll go to, I'll go to church, but I don't necessarily want get, to get involved or, or do anything beyond that. And our passion, this fire that we once had, begins to go out. And so what we as believers need to be uh, aware of constantly, like Peter, even though he denied Jesus, he got out of the boat and he ran to Jesus because he was passionate about him. And our job as followers of Christ is to constantly fuel that passion, constantly put put a a fire source, right, A, a fuel source on that fire of our passion. Colby, like what? I'd say one of the logs that you better put on your fire In order to continue to get that passion brighter, is coming to church, is worshiping together. Like that's one of the the logs that you have to put on there. Why? Because we gotta get numbers and build a church. No, because it it fuels your passion, it stokes your passion, it sustains the passion that you had for Christ. Another log you gotta put on the fire is getting in God's word. Like you gotta get in it, memorize it, take it to, to heart because it fuels. The passion that you have. Another log you got to throw on the fire is getting around the other people of God. you just got to do it. Make sure they're the right people, all right? Just saying. But that fuels and burns the passion that you have in your, your life. I don't know about you, but I want to throw as much, as much wood on the fire that God's ignited in my heart and my life. You know, to the point where it just singes my eyebrows off because I remember what God's done for me, because I remember how he saved me, because I remember how he rescued me and restored me. I remember how he is patient with me, even today, and how he loves me just as I am and that how he'll never leave me or forsake me. I remember that and because I remember that. I want to be passionate. I want to be like Peter and run out of the boat, jump out and head towards Jesus because I'm passionate about him, and if you're passionate about Jesus, then I'll be passionate about what he's passionate about, does that make sense, like when you're so in love with Jesus, you're going to be passionate about the things that that Jesus is passionate about, I don't know how you grew up in church, what kind of church you uh, grew up in, but I've been to some churches where it's like I left church feeling like I'm a terrible person, anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, don't do that. But you go to church and they would tell you all the things that you're not—that you're not good enough, you're not doing this enough, you're not doing that enough, you're not tithing enough that you have to tithe more, you're not serving enough that you have to have to serve more. And I used to leave church feeling like, man, I am a terrible person. Like I, I feel I feel awful. I never want to go back. See, I just happen to believe that if I can get you to fall passionately in love with Jesus, and all that other stuff will happen. All that other stuff is gonna happen inside of your life if I can just get you passionately in love with Jesus because when you're in love with Jesus, you're passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about. Like when you're passionately in love with Jesus, no one has to beg you to give because you understand that Jesus is the most extravagant giver on the face of the the earth, right, who gave his life and so you are passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. Are you with me? No one has to beg you to serve. Why? Because Jesus is the greatest servant of all, giving his life. He constantly served people everywhere that he went. So I don't have to get you, uh, I don't have to yell at you. I just have to get you to love Jesus. And out of that, it turns this, this got to, got to, got to, into I get to serve. I get to give. Are you with me? I don't think, I don't think the enemy has to derail your life with some huge immoral thing. All he has to do is is steal your passion. All he has to do is get you to remove fuel from a fire that once burned bright in your life. And if he can steal your passion, and passion leads to action, then there's no more action. He doesn't have to blow your life up with some huge, huge thing. He just has to, to take away your passion. I'm just getting you to that place where you remember the passion that you once had, where you remember uh, the, the passion that you had, you know, to where it didn't matter what they said about you at school, that you still took a stand and said, I'm with Jesus. To that place where it didn't matter what they said about you in the office, in the workplace, or a staff Christmas party. The place where it doesn't matter what the guys said about you or make fun of you for not going out with them on Friday night and getting hammered because you were, uh, cared more about investing in your family at home and in your marriage. Come on, I'm trying to get somebody back to that place where it didn't matter how much they criticized you. That it wouldn't, it wouldn't make a dent in the, the passion that you had. You remember that place? That's where Peter was. That even though he denied Christ, he jumps out of the boat because he's so passionate. He's so desperate for him that he's willing to go any distance. He's passionate for Jesus. And if he's passionate for Jesus, then he's going to be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. And so I want to give you one thing. There are a lot of things he's passionate about, but here's, here's the main thing. That you'll be passionate about people. Passionate about people. I don't want to get to the end of my life and say the things that didn't matter are the things that got my energy. The things that got my passion. My hobbies, my teams. That that's what got all my energy. I want to get to the end of my life and say, hey, what matters for eternity that's what got my passion. And the only thing that lasts for eternity is people. People last for eternity. And Jesus came for people. He desperately loves people. I've talked to you about this before. You're a body, soul, and a spirit, right? And the part of you, that spirit part is the part of you that lasts forever. And people are the only ones with it. That God put that in there. And so people matter to God. In fact, in his own words, 2 Peter 3 9, it says this, that the will of the Father, is he is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, like nobody. It's not just some or a few. He doesn't want anyone on this planet to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone that you know, everyone in your family, everyone in the school, everyone everyone that's what he wants he's desperate for for people for God so loved the world right everybody that he gave his only son that no greater love a man has that he would lay down his life for his friends for for people if you're going to be passionate about Jesus you're going to be passionate about what he's passionate about and he's passionate about people people you know it's why we started this church because we had a red-hot passion for, for people, people that were lost, people that were apart from God, people who were far from God. Like, we didn't come to Erie 10 years ago to start a country club. I want you to know that. We came to start a hospital, a spiritual hospital, where people who were desperate for something could find the cure, and that cure has a name, by the way. His name is Jesus, and he's passionate about people. passionate about you we didn't come to uh, to start another church you probably drove by great churches on your way here today i believe that there's some great churches we were just convicted and challenged that what erie needed was a place of of life-giving freedom where people didn't matter your your age sex color of your skin didn't matter your socio Economic background, didn't matter any of that, that God sent His Son for people, all people. So we just believed if we could create a place of freedom where all people could know God, they could find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference with their life, that if you could get connected to the heart of Christ that way, then what would happen is, you would say, hey, I found the greatest doctor in town. And you would go out and find someone else that was sick, that was lost, that was broken, that needed Jesus. And you'd bring them in and then they would, they would discover as something was ignited in their, their heart and say, hey, I found the greatest doctor in town. And they would go out and find someone who was sick and lost and broken and something was missing from within and they would, they would get something ignited in their life and if they would connect to the heart of God, then they would go out and connect other people to the heart of God and they would go connect other people to the heart of God and it would just grow that way. It would be a movement. In fact, that's what we see happening here at this church, whether you know that or not, if you've been coming for the first time or a long time. Like, if we continue to grab God's heart for people, this building would not be able to contain all the people that God would want to bring. Like right now, there are people in overflow out in the lobby. In fact, can we we show some love to the people that are in the lobby? Let them know. Hey, thank you, guys. You've probably sat out there before. But in the, the 10 and eleven thirty 30 times, man, we, we are a lot of times standing room only and just packed, right? And God's doing that. God's doing that. You're connecting with the heart of God. Something's being lit inside of your life, and you're going and inviting more and more people to come. In fact, you're going to see some uh, some changes here in the next couple weeks, by the way. And the greatest, the easiest way for you to serve this church, if you're not, already in any capacity is to consider a different worship time honestly because we'd like to free up some seats in our optimal times so more people could discover who God is who Jesus is and so we have an 8:30 that's that has a lot of space we have a 5 on on Saturday that's a great you know worship time as well the easiest way to serve your church is to think about and consider giving up your seat in one of those busy times another easy way to serve your church is you're going to see our auditorium team, which is a great team that we have here. They're going to actually start seating people from like the front to the back. They're not going to sit you on each other's laps. Not that kind of church. All right, I'm just let you know. But they're going to start seating people from the front to the back so that we could create more space in the back. Our goal is to minimize distraction but maximize opportunity for people who are far from God to come in and experience God just as you have. And so that's going to be happening. But again, the easiest way to serve your church is to... You know, be kind to those people who would want to seat you. Like, don't cuss them out, all right? Don't, don't do any of that stuff. Isn't it great to know that in a, in a time in church history in America, there are 3,000 more churches closing their doors every year than are launching? 3,000 more. And the 94% of churches in America are less than 500 people And we see about 1,600-plus people a weekend. We are in the top 0.4% of church attendance in America. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great to know? And only God can do that. Come on, only God can do that. And if you are passionate about what Jesus is passionate about, it will be people. So help us out, okay? Reach more and more people. We're entering into a season like where growth in churches starts to, to blow up. I mean, we're gonna start a relationship series next weekend called uh, Don't Give Up the Ship, kind of a little take on, you know, the whole eerie Don't Give Up the Ship, you know, flag that we're all so familiar with. And then we're entering to Christmas season. It's going to be a big time in this church, in our history, as God continues to bring more and more people. So be a part of that. So I guess the question is, how far will you go? How far are you willing to go? Um, I have one more thing I'm going to say. In John 20, in John 21, Jesus shows up on the shore. John 21, verse 1, he shows up on the shore. In John 20, he's in Jerusalem. He's being crucified for the sins of the world. Dead, buried, raised to life. Right? John 20, he's in Jerusalem. John 21, he's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, this didn't hit me. I didn't connect with this until I'd had a chance to go there to Israel, and I stood on the shore where Jesus presumably called out to the disciples and said, hey, you guys catching any fish? You guys catching anything? They're like, no, catch on the other side. Here's what you need to realize. It is a one-week walk from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee. One week. You know what that tells me? Jesus was willing to walk a week for one guy. To restore one guy, he was willing to walk a week. But he went to the cross. Wasn't, wasn't that enough? Actually, it wasn't enough. Jesus said, before I go to the Father, before I ascend to heaven and I sit at the right-hand side of the Father, and I, and I spend my, my time there interceding, you know, for those of us here on earth, before I do that, i gotta, I got to get a hold of Peter, He's got to know that he's okay. He's got to know that that he's going to be restored back to ministry. He's got to know that i got a plan for that kid's life, that I'm going to do great things through him. i got to get a hold of Peter. And so he walks a week for one guy. See, how far are you willing to walk for someone who is far from God? Chances are he's not going to ask you to walk a week. Chances are God's not going to ask you to, to walk to Gerard for somebody. I don't know why he'd. Would anyway. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love Gerard. But seriously, he might ask you to walk across the street. He might ask you to walk down the hall in the office to that cubicle of that guy that you know is hurting, that has a hole in their heart, and they're filling it with with a lifestyle that's going to lead to nowhere because maybe you've been down that path before and you know exactly where that leads. He might ask you to walk to that person. He, he might ask you to walk to a family member. He might ask you to walk to uh, the next locker if you're in school. He might ask you to walk there. I had this thought while I was preparing this and this is there's always a moment where God says, "This is this is it. And for some of you, this is it. He might ask you to walk down the hall in your own house. Because the people that bear your last name are the people that should matter the most to you. And there are some people in your own homes that are far from God. And he's willing, he's waiting for you to step up and to walk down the hall. Sometimes the greatest distance of all, right, is to walk down the hall when it comes to telling people about Jesus but there might be some people here that you need to walk down the hall, knock on the door of your son, knock on the door of your daughter, and say, hey, I need to tell you about somebody who changed my life. And maybe that fire will ignite something in their life. And they'll connect that with other people. Here's, I would never ask you guys to do something like that without giving you an action step. I hope you know that. So here's what I want you to do. Grab your phone right now, pull it out. Everybody pull out your phone. If you got a smartphone, pull it out. If you've got a dumb phone, pull it out. It doesn't really matter. And I want you to pull it out. Go ahead, everybody play along. Some of you are arms crossed, just too much pride going on in here. Mm-hmm. Pull it out. And I want you to text a name of something that you know God wants you to, to connect with, who is far from God, who desperately needs God, I want you to text that person's name because we're going to be praying with you for them to this number right here, 814-969-9478. That's not my personal number. That's the church phone, just so you know. We've been blowing it up all day. And we're going to put this list of names together. Our prayer team is going to get these names. They're going to pray over them. You can make up nicknames. It doesn't matter. But we're going to pray and we're going to stand with you and believe that God is going to do something in their life. That God is going to begin to ignite something in In you again, so that you would have courage to go out and connect with with that person whose name you're gonna put down. If you don't have a phone at all, go ahead and lean over to your neighbor and say, hey, hey, will you throw this person's name? Go ahead right now. All text messaging rates do apply. I just have to throw that out there. But go ahead and let them know what that name is, because we wanna stand with you in believing that if it's a son, if it's a daughter, if it's somebody that desperately needs to know Jesus that we're going to stand with you and pray and pray for them in fact let's do that right now would you bow your head close your eyes unless you're texting in the name go ahead and you can continue to do that God we pray right now for the people that you've placed on our heart that you love desperately that you sent Jesus to die for that you gave your life for and so God as we enter these names God know that that it doesn't absolve us from any responsibility. That's not even what we're asking. We're just going to stand together, believing that you're going to give us an opportunity to connect, believing, God, that you're going to give us the courage to connect, believing that you're going to give us uh, something to speak into, into their life, God, that would help them connect the dots back to you, that we would understand that the the greatest doctor in town, the one that can cure what what... The sicknesses, the diseases, what, what makes us empty, God, is Jesus. And we want to connect as many people to the heart of Jesus as we can. And so, God, I pray for all those that are texting right now that you would give us an opportunity, even this week, to invite them to what we've experienced. And I guess beyond that, that you would begin to reignite the fire inside of us, that if nothing else, we would begin to remember all that you have Uh, done for our lives, how you've saved us, how you've set us free, how you died on the cross for our sins, not counting it against us any longer, God, and get us back to that place where we would take a stand for you in any environment that we find ourselves in with our family, with school, with work, wherever it is, God, that we would burn brightly for the cause of Christ. That's our prayer. With every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're here today. And you've never given your life to follow Jesus. And you understand today that he is desperate for people. There was nothing that he wouldn't do. There's no distance that he wouldn't go. When you ask how far you'll go for someone, Jesus went as far as to give his life for you on the cross. So that our sins, which we're all sinners, every single one of us, we have a sin nature that he gave his life to conquer that sin nature. And the moment we believe that, we confess him as Lord will be saved. Some of you, that's why you're here today. Because you need to allow Jesus to pay for your sins. You've never allowed him to do that. I wanna give you the chance to do that. The way we do that is through prayer. That's how we communicate with God. But the most important part uh, is, is not the words that we say, is that you believe it in your heart. The Bible says as you confess Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead that you would be saved. And so today, perhaps you're that person that's gonna be saved and set free, released from your sin to spend an eternity with God one day. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray that prayer, I'm I'm gonna pray it with you. Right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you lift up your hands? I wanna see who I'm praying with in this room today. Man, God bless you. Awesome, awesome. Praise God for you, hands all over. God bless you, God bless you. Yeah, yeah, put your hands down. Say something like this in your heart. I'm just gonna give you language, use your own words. God, I know that I'm a sinner and I repent for going my own way. And I know that Jesus died for me, that that's how far he would go, is to give everything. And so in return, I want to give everything back to him. Take all the bad of me, God, and replace it with all the good of Christ. I confess him as Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. So right here and right now, I'm being raised to a new life in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow jesus congratulations welcome to the family we would love to know about it so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes there will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this awesome journey if you want to support the mission and vision of elevate church to see people far from god reach their full potential in christ you can do so by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash give